Every day we work for money, acceptance, security. But it doesn't matter how much time you put in, there just isn't any amount of work that will help you earn God's grace. He was asking, how can I be saved? Jesus says, this is how you can be saved. Not by the law coming to your rescue, but by the one who is willing to travel this same road with you. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We're used to earning things in life, but today, Charles Tapp explains that grace isn't grace once you have to work for it, as he shares the third and final part in this series, On the Road Again, with his message, The Road to Salvation. This morning, I want to draw your attention to what many consider to be one of the best known and well-loved of all of Jesus' stories. It is the parable of the Good Samaritan. But before we plunge right into the story, I believe it would serve us well if we just took a moment to look at some of the rules, some of the principles for the interpretation of parables, and especially as we look at a parable of Jesus. The first is this, and they're all in your sermon review, so you don't have to take time to write them down. The first is the purpose of Jesus' parables is to reveal to his audience some particular aspect of the nature of the kingdom of God. Number two, that the meaning of the parable is contained right within the parable itself. And that's important. You don't have to go outside of the parable to extricate its meaning. It's right in the heart of the parable. Number three, each parable that Jesus shared was given to address an immediate issue or concern or need. And lastly, for Christ's parables were designed to transfer truth from what was familiar to a subject that was somewhat unfamiliar. And because the parable of the Good Samaritan is such a familiar one, I want to take a moment briefly and just share with you what I call my Reader's Digest condensed version of the Good Samaritan story. First of all, we know that a the Bible says a Jewish man was taking a trip. It was a dangerous trip down a dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And that while he was alone, he was attacked by robbers. And the Bible says that, that he was left for dead. As he lay helplessly on the ground, Jesus says two, not one, but two religious leaders from the community stumbled upon the plight of this man, but for whatever reason, decided to ignore his condition. Lastly, a Samaritan man, Jesus says, came along and, and offered his assistance, and to make a long story short, they both rode off together in the sunset. And that is the Reader's Digest condensed version of the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, there are many practical lessons that, that we can draw from this parable that can be immediately implemented in our daily lives. First, you can't always judge a book by its cover. Amen? How many of you know that to be true? 
You can't always judge a book by his or her cover. Secondly, that the golden rule of Matthew 7 and verse 12 should be lived by every child of God, for it should be our goal to do unto others, as Jesus says, the way and the manner in which we would have them to do unto us if the situation was reversed. And thirdly, that when we find someone in need, we should be willing to go the second mile. In other words, we should be willing to put ourselves and to extend ourselves for that individual. And fourthly, there are times when we need to place, quite frankly, the needs of others ahead of our own. But our culture today is completely antithetical to that. For the culture today is all about satisfying me. It's all about fulfilling myself and my needs. How many of you have heard the latest of LeBron James? That was the lead story on many news segments. Not the BP situation, not New Orleans, not Afghanistan. It was LeBron James. As he put before the world his decision to whether to stay in Cleveland and make several million dollars or to go to some other team and make several million more dollars. And we were fixed on this man who was concerned about himself, about winning a championship. It has nothing to do with the game anymore, but whatever I need to do so that I can take the prize, that's what's uppermost in my mind. But Paul says, oh no. Paul says in Galatians 6 and verse 2 that we should be concerned about the needs of others first and foremost, to the point where we are willing to carry someone else's burden. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, that it's tough enough for you to carry the burdens you have of your own, and now you're saying that God admonishes us to help others to carry their burdens. That's exactly what the Word of God is saying. And that's one of the lessons in this story. And although... There are many other lessons that we can pull from this popular parable. I am of the opinion that the essence of the parable has still been, for the most part, overlooked. First and foremost, we must ask ourselves, what sparked Jesus to share this story in the first place? As in the case of many other times, it was because someone asked him a question. But this time it wasn't just any question, it was the most important question. For this lawyer asked Jesus, what is it that I need to do so that I can inherit eternal life? Simply put, he was asking Christ, what is it that I need to do so that I can guarantee my salvation? And that is a question that Jesus was asked on many occasions, but it is still a question that many are asking today. What is it that I need to do so that I can be saved? You know, we're concerned about this thing. We're concerned about the economy. We're concerned about this, that, and the other. But one of the most important things you and I need to be concerned about, dear friends, is our eternal salvation. Who says amen? That should be at the top of our 
less. And instead of Jesus immediately answering this lawyer, he responds with a question of his own. This method of answering a question with a question is one that many philosophers have used throughout the ages to to engage their opponent in discussion and debate. This method was so widely used by the philosopher Socrates that it, it became known as the Socratic method. Let's take a look this morning at Luke chapter 10, verses 27 to verse 29. I want you to follow along with me today. So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? All of your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor, Jesus says, as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live, verse 29. But he, talking about the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Listen, if this lawyer had been satisfied with the initial response, there would not have been a need for Christ to have shared this parable. But as verse 29 points out, it wasn't enough for him just to be right in the eyes of the law. He wanted to appear righteous in the eyes of Jesus. So he asked him, listen, what, who is my neighbor? In my opinion, the parable has less to do with answering the question, who is my neighbor? And it has more to do with the lawyer's initial question, and that was, what must I do to be saved? Lest we forget, the question, who is my neighbor, was one of two questions that the lawyer posed to Christ. And it wasn't even the major topic of discussion. If we only view Jesus' response in the light of the question, who is my neighbor, then I, can, I believe that we will miss out on the true meaning and the essence of the parable of the Good Samaritan. It has less to do with who is my neighbor, and it has more to do with the question that Jesus, that he asked Jesus, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Let's go on with verse 30 of Luke chapter 10. Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him, the Bible says, half dead. Now let's take a moment and just, let's just carefully examine this entire scenario. First of all, we must remember that this is a parable, that there's a deeper meaning behind what Jesus is saying here. The parable talks about the journey. It talks about a road. And as you know, although the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was one of the most frequently traveled roads because the temple was in Jerusalem, it was also one of the most dangerous roads because many robbers would hang out there. Then Jesus talks about a man. A man, by all accounts, was an innocent man whose life was attacked 
and he was completely unprovoked. The Bible says he was stripped of all his possessions and then left for dead. Stay with me. For before we go any further, we must understand that Jesus was speaking in code. Don't miss that. So when Jesus was asked by one of his disciples one day as to the reason why he would use parables, Jesus says, listen, you know the secrets to the kingdom of God, but I speak in parables so that the rest of them will hear, but not hear, so that they will see, but not understand. That's the, Jesus was saying, I speak in parable because there's some things I want you to get, but others not just yet. So what was the mystery that Jesus clothed in this parable of the good Samaritan? Well, in order to answer that, we first must ask, what was the question that Jesus was asked to begin with? What must I do to be saved? Listen, I believe that what Jesus gave in response to that question was not just a simple story, it was not just a simple parable, but Jesus was demonstrating the road to one's salvation. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Road to Salvation. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. take a moment and just recommend that you breathe. Now, there are all kinds of breathing techniques that you can use. One is count to 10, you know, breathing in, count to 10, breathing out, kind of hold it in the middle, you know, breathing in His grace and breathing out His praise. Whatever you choose, breath is really important. And this time of year, you know, you may have a cold or you may have the flu and it's restricting your breathing. So you know just how important that is. God has given you that breath. In Acts, Paul wrote this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else and so take a moment and take a deep breath and stay encouraged to get more encouraging content go to wgts919.com this is simple truths for life And this week, Charles Tapp explains that grace isn't grace once you have to work for it, as he concludes his series, On the Road Again, with his message, The Road to Salvation. I believe that the key to answering this question lies in understanding the different segments of the parable and what they truly mean. First of all, the road that this man traveled, I believe, represents the road that each of us must travel, and it is the road that we call life. And the reason why this road is a dangerous road is because this road, dear friends, is paved with sin, and we're not the only ones that are traveling this road, for the Bible says the enemy is right along with us, right behind us. For Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And how many of you know today that this road that you and I travel is a dangerous road? For the enemy's goal is to steal, it is to kill, and it is to 
destroy. So that's the road. And many times after he has stolen our hope and he has destroyed our faith, he leaves us on the side of the road in our Christian experience just left for dead. Look at verses 31 and 32 of this parable in Luke 10. Jesus says, now by chance, a certain what? Priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed him by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at this same place, came and looked and passed by on the other side as well. Now, the priest and the Levite, both of whom were from the tribe of Levi, I believe represent two things. Number one, they represent the law, and secondly, they represent the works of the law. And the reason why, when they came upon this man in his condition, that they did not stop to help him is because the law is powerless to save. So instead of reaching down to lift this man up, the law had to walk around on the other side and leave this man in his condition because that's what the law does. The law can reveal what the situation is, but the law, Paul says, has no power to save you. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. Look at what the apostle Paul says in relationship to the law of God. He says, for what the law could what? Not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On the account of sin, he condemned what? Sin in the flesh. And when Paul talks about the law being weak, Although it represents God's character, it was weak from the standpoint it was asked to do something that which it was not designed to do. The law was never designed to bring us salvation. So when Jesus talked about these two religious leaders ignoring this man walking by on the other side, it was all in the context of salvation. They represented the law. The law could only stop and look, but the law had to keep going. All in answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? Verses 33 and verse 34. But a certain who? Samaritan. As he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, what did he do? He had compassion on him. Law passed by, but Samaritan stopped to have compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, the relationship between Samaritans and Jews has always been a tenuous one at best, for Samaritans were thought to be half-breeds. Some even considered them to be less than dogs, and and a a good, self-respecting Jew would never have any social contact with a Samaritan unless they were engaging in some kind of business. But Jesus says this Samaritan stopped to help. So who is this Samaritan? I suggest to you today that the Samaritan was Jesus. For Isaiah 55 verse 3 says that he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
One time in the book of John in verses 8 and 48, when Jesus was accused by his enemies, they even accused him of not only being demon possessed, but they accused Christ of being a Samaritan. So the one who came to the rescue of this fallen man was not the ones you thought would have, the religious ones. But it was this individual who was considered to be the lowest of the low stopped by and helped him. It was, as Jesus says, a certain Samaritan. In this case, one of questionable birth. He was the last one you would have ever thought would have stopped by to save this man. But the law can't save. Only Jesus can save. Amen? For if the law could save and my obedience to that law would save me, my salvation would have been lost long time ago. And guess what? So would have yours. It's not about keeping the law that saves us. For that's why the law had to pass by on the other side. But it was the one who was not considered to be the one you would have thought that would have stopped to save this man, and that is the very one who did, and that man is Jesus. And what Jesus was trying to tell this lawyer was this. Listen, your way of thinking of the law to bring you salvation is null and void. The only one who can save you is me. It is Jesus Christ. Look at the innkeeper in this parable. In verse 35, it says... On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him. Don't miss this. Take care of him. You spend, when I come again, I will do what? Who's the innkeeper? It's the Holy Spirit. He took him to the innkeeper and said, when I come back, I will take care of you. And the two denarii that he paid represented the price that God paid for our salvation. He was asking, how can I be saved? Jesus says, this is how you can be saved. Not by the law coming to your rescue, but by the one who is willing to travel this same road with you. The one who will be the least likely one to save you, it is the good Samaritan. It is me, for you are saved not by the law, not by works, but by the grace of God. Why is it it is so hard for us to grasp this concept of grace? Throughout the general conference session, we were proclaiming the theme of God's grace. But you know what? You can't proclaim what you don't know. I was sharing with the congregation this morning while I was at the session, you know, I was doing, helping to do the news. And one day, well, all the days they had shuttles that would take us from the hotel to the dome. And I was running late, waited over an hour for the shuttle to come. The shuttle did not come. And it was like 200 degrees in Atlanta. You know, that's why they call it Hot Atlanta. And I'm standing there sweating profusely, you know, just, just pouring. Like somebody just took a bucket of water, just threw it on top of my head. I mean, just, just you know. So I saw a taxi, and I said, maybe I should take a taxi. But then I looked at my wallet. All I had was a dollar. My other money was upstairs in the hotel room in my safe. So I said to this guy, you know, I would take a taxi, but I don't have any money. He said, let's go. 
I said, let's go where? He said, let's take a taxi. I said, I don't have any money. He said, let's go. He started walking toward the taxi. So I started walking toward the taxi too, you know. We got in the taxi, the guy said, take your dome, $12. I just want to remind you, I only have a dollar. He said, don't worry about it. Pull up at the dome five minutes later, he pulls out his wallet, pays $12. I said, but I only have a dollar. He said, what did I say? Don't worry about it. Give me your name and you know, I'll pay you back. Man got off the bus, never saw him again. He was from Australia. I would do an accent, but it, it's not a good one. <laughs> Next day, same thing. I'm standing there waiting for the bus for an hour. Bus hasn't come. I see buses for this hotel and that hotel. They're all passing me by. We're standing, there were about at least 200 people standing there waiting for the bus. So even if the bus had come, I wouldn't have made it on the bus. So I said, I've got money today. I'm going to catch a cab. I saw these two young women talking. One was saying to the other, you know, I'm going to be late. I don't know what we're going to do. I said to them, take a taxi. They said, we would, but we don't have any money. I said, don't worry about it. Follow me. And they looked at me as if I had lost my last mind. I said, no, come on, come on, don't worry about it. They were. So they followed me behind, opened the door, got in their taxi. Guy said, it's going to be $13. Wait a minute, it was 12 yesterday. <laughs> Driving to the dome, get to the dome. He says, okay, $13. I reach in my wallet. The other man of 20 gives me my change. They look at me like, sir, we told you we don't have any money. I said, don't worry about it. We got out of the cab. I started to walk away. They said, sir, sir, give us your name. Tell us where you're from. We'll, we'll, we'll pay you back. I said, don't pay me back. Pay it forward. And I walked away. I have never seen them again. They have never seen me. And I may never see them again in life. That's what grace does. You want to know how to proclaim God's grace? Take the grace that God gives to you and give it to somebody else. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell this young lawyer. Who's your neighbor? Everybody you come in contact with that needs the grace of God. It's not about the law. I keep the law because I want to make God happy because of what he's done for me. But if you want to change the world, proclaim God's grace, not just singing about it, but living it. And living God's grace means I've got to do for others. I've got to go the second mile, the extra mile for them, and I may never get it back. Because if I get it back, it's not grace. It's not grace. I'm so glad today that I'm not saved by works because you would have to get another pastor and I would have to get another church. We're saved by God's marvelous grace. And the greatest impact the church can ever have on the world 
That's our neighbor, is to extend that grace to them. Not by talking it, but by living it. So I challenge you to be the good Samaritan. Not the law that only points out the faults, but the Samaritan who is willing to go the extra mile. For the road to salvation is not paved with sin. It is a road that is covered with the grace of God. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Road to Salvation. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. When you walk with God and, and when you begin this journey with God, it is important to understand this one important point, and that is we may walk with God, but God does the leading, we do the following. Next week, Charles Tapp begins a four-part series that will open your eyes to some of the treasures the Bible has to offer. The series is titled, Back to the Bible, and we hope you can listen in to the first message, Dead Man Walking. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.